Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Three Crosses podcast. My name is Buzz, and I'm one of the pastors here at Three Crosses. But I've only been a pastor here since 2015, which makes me a relative latecomer in the stage of things. And so in the midst of the Yesterday, Today, and Forever series, I wanted to connect you with somebody who's been around for a while. And there's nobody greater in my mind to share those stories of the good old days and the history of Three Crosses Church than Pastor Butch Monk. Uh, Butch was on uh, last semester to talk to us about family camp and ministry to families, but I wanted him to come back and share what was it like to grow up here at Three Crosses Church and looking back with decades of legacy, what stories does he have, what challenge and calling can he share with us as we seek to follow the Lord together here at Three Crosses Church. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did, which is always a lot of fun. So let's take a listen. Butch, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Thank you. Should be fun. All right. Is that a threat? Are you are you threatening me with fun here? <laughs> I thought this was some serious business. Um, but no. I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about what I jokingly called the good old days, you know, right. as we're in the midst of our yesterday, today, and forever series. I wanted to hear about when did you come to Three Crosses Church? How has the Lord used you here? How has your life been changed? And what keeps you around? So some stuff like that. So if you are willing, let's go back to the very beginning. Julie Andrews told me that's a very good place to start. What brought you here to Three Crosses Church for the first time? Well, my... Uh family went to a small church in Oakland that uh, at the, the time uh, of my like third, fourth grade um, schooling was ready to uh, kind of uh, break up. And so in about, it was either 1954 or 55, I was in fourth grade, uh, we made that switch. And that was the transition time, right at the transition time of Earl Sexauer to Jake Belig. So my first uh, real acquaintance with neighborhood church was with Jake Belig, although Earl Sexauer had been here. He was always on the platform with, at night with his white suit. You know, all the guys on, on the platform had white suits and very classy and everything. And then it it became Jake's Jake's ministry after that. My first illustrated sermon was uh, Shortened and Bread. They were all named after popular songs of the day. Yeah. So was that at the original facility or was that at the second at facility? At 8411 MacArthur Boulevard, right next to Castlemont High School. So that's the second facility. Second. And uh, you mentioned the illustrated sermons. Tell us a little bit about those. What What were those all about? You know, we well, don't we don't do those anymore, do we? This is a different thing than the musical <clears throat> outreaches. Well, actually, we don't, and and yet we do because what we do now was actually is actually the uh, continuation of what we used to do then. They would have about three scenes um, each Sunday night that would illustrate an idea that uh, Jake was going to speak about. And they would always be named uh, after a, a popular song. I remember another one was 16 Tons, you know, with uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford. Remember that song? No, you don't remember. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, uh, they would illustrate it. They would have a, a couple of modern scenes, and then they have a biblical scene. And then Jake would wrap it up uh, after that. 
now that would be done with uh, a, a certain number of uh, um, costumes and, and a little bit of makeup and so on. But it was the forerunner of what we do now with our, our Christmas and, yeah. and uh, Easter uh, illustrations. Uh, then we we had a Christmas and an Easter one. In fact, the Christmas one was at midnight. One of them was at midnight on Christmas Eve. That was the big deal. You know, one time the sheep got loose and ran down uh, MacArthur Boulevard, and the shepherds uh, chased them in their in their shepherds' outfits. <laughs> and they're chasing these guys. You know, I guess that's what they're there for. Can you that's imagine what shepherds are supposed to do? I guess, yeah. You know, you're a neighbor, minding your own business, and then a sheep goes down, <laughs> yeah. you know, and shepherds And then are you coming. see the shepherds. You know. Yeah. And you thought so, Santa Claus had reindeer, but here he is with a sheep. Unbelievable. Every Sunday night, there would be uh, really two two things that were uh, major attractions for, for all of us children. Uh, it was the... Uh, cathedral corollaries they would do a package of usually four songs and then there would be the illustrated sermon okay and it, it, that was a a big deal the cathedral corollaries they they wore the white jackets and the the black uh tuxedo plant pants with the stripe down the side and everything and the ladies always had on a a special kind of a dress you know they all dressed the same and it was very classy uh, unusual songs, you know, you wouldn't get the hymns or anything. You got more contemporary music, contemporary in those days, and then you would have the illustration. And by the way, on those Sunday evenings, the church was packed. Yeah. When I when I was a little guy, when I we first started the church, the church started at seven forty five in the evening, and and it was still packed. And then seven thirty, and then seven, and then earlier when we moved here yeah i'm trying to envision young butch fourth grade yeah up there on stage in an illustrated sermon or oh sometimes about- yes yeah i i was up there in my bathrobe a couple times you know as one that would be read to uh uh sitting there with my little sister and we would have the christmas story read to us and then it would be acted out you know that we were kind of the intro and then later on i was a shepherd or or more often a pharisee (laughs) some bad guy (laughs) was it that sunday night involvement in the drama that kept you and your family connected or was there some other my sister sang in the choral airs and she was a singer she um took voice lessons she sang all over and that was really the connection. My parents knew that uh, this was a place where there was a top-notch music program. In fact, I would say that the church in those days, in the 50s, and of course in the 60s, was known for its, its music program and, and the, the drama, its youth program, and its missions programs. That was the big thing. Um, Jake Beelig always taught that we were... A, uh, an evangelistic church. The goal always to, was to have something that would attract people who would normally wouldn't be going to a church, but they yeah. would come to that kind of a, a service, something that would be a uh, be an attraction for them. And then 
to grab their children through a great Sunday school program, through programs that we had during the week, and through an outstanding camping program. We went to uh, Old Oak Ranch was the place that we went for junior camp, junior high camp, and then high school camp. So those were the three big draws. So student ministry, musical outreach. Yes. And you said evangel or missions, global missions. missions. Uh, that that was that was major. Yeah, we had missionaries that would come every year for like a week's worth of uh, of missions uh, meetings, and always would culminate with. Um, a service where the youth would go down onto the platform of the church and dedicate themselves for full-time Christian work or missionary work or whatever the Lord had called them to. Did you find yourself sneaking down there? Oh, yes. Time? Many times. Many yeah. times? The first time didn't take? Yeah. I, no, I went down there many times and uh, and just dedicated myself to whatever the Lord wanted. But at the same time, I was always kind of holding back, thinking, okay, I'm going to do this because everybody else is doing it. But I, I don't yeah. know if I really want to go off to, to some mission. Yeah, you want to be in the Lord's work, but missions yeah. is like, whoa. You know, big... I remember being a kid myself in right. my own church growing up and being terrified that the Lord was going to send me yeah. as a global missionary and I'd have to live in some tent. And I yeah. thought, maybe I can do it. Yeah. I don't want to do it. I know, I know so the vivid feeling. I was right there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of thinking back again, you had the student ministry priority, you had the music and arts priority, and then you had the global mission priority. Right. Which if you wrangled us down today, we would probably tell you that our three priorities, roughly speaking, are student ministries, music and arts outreach, and right. global mission with an evangelistic kind of bent and all A of them. Absolutely. And that's one thing that I wanted to say um, in all of this, this uh, series is that the... The purposes of the church way back then under Sex Hour and Jake Beelig have continued and, and are the same now under Larry Vold and now Danny Strange. The, those same purposes, that's what the, the board works for. That's what the staff works for, is that we would um, carry Jesus Christ to the community out there through whatever means necessary. Um, that's why Cafe 4 is is what it is now. Those bricks used to be used for the, the kickoff rally, which was another way of attracting people. And now Cafe Four is the same yeah, way. Tell us about that kickoff rally. I never got to go, but you were there, I assume. Oh yeah, I was many there. times. What's the kickoff rally all about? Well, the kickoff rally started in the 50s and, and down in the basement of the old church, uh, there was a, a, a large stage and uh, plenty of room for high school kids at first and they would serve them a turkey dinner and six or seven different high schools would bring their cheerleading squads well obviously it outgrew that and um, they still had to do it downstairs there was no other place to go but they stopped doing the turkey dinner in fact for a while it would be a hot dog dinner and then these these schools that's even better yeah, but as the school i mean as a church uh, influence spread in the community. We had schools like in San Lorenzo and Hayward and all over who wanted to come for this competition. And the competition that was just, that just served as an attraction uh, for a long time to get these kids uh, familiar with the church became um, 
a means of telling people about Christ. And they would bring a special speaker who would wrap things up all the time, and then they would have an invitation. And there would be many kids who would come to the Lord. And then when when we moved here, the bricks was the, the natural uh, venue for that. It was a great platform for it. And then many, many more. I think there were over 20 schools that came. Oh, wow. And it became a national event. They had uh, cheerleaders from uh, various universities that would come and judge these kids, and they, they would uh, have prizes for song girls and for cheerleaders. And everybody brought their, their busloads of students from their school so that the parking lot here was just loaded with kids, and that would be the audience area where the park, front parking lot is. And then on the bricks would be where the... the uh, cheering competition went and it was it was tremendous and there was always a speaker to wrap things up um, and give an invitation what caused us to stop doing the kickoff rally i know mean, i know things changed but was there an, an incident i don't want to like accidentally there <laughs> talk about anything we don't need to bring there up, were but. just there were uh several incidents where it made it uh um a little bit dangerous to have that many high school kids together. Uh, there was there were people who wanted to use the get together as something different than the cheerleading competition and hearing about the Lord. And so, uh, different students would bring things that shouldn't be brought to church, and uh, and it became a mess. And so they just it was time. To move on but the thing is that every program has a season yeah and and the program can be used during that season to attract people to the lord but when that program stops like the kickoff rally then something else takes its place and so we have seen here at our church so many different things for high school and college age kids that have attracted them after the kickoff rally and we it's the lord has continued his work because the purpose to reach the community for christ has continued and whatever means we could use to do it has been employed to to get that accomplished yeah i love what you're talking about the kind of the freshness of the of the methodology that people are using to try to reach people for the gospel but anytime i think a well-loved event or program or style goes away i think that's hard for a lot of people you know, and yeah. I think about illustrated sermons and you're telling me the church was packed out, you know, yeah. that was a big hook for your family and we don't really do it that way anymore, no. let alone have a Sunday night service. So how did, how was it kind of for everyone as those illustrated sermons started to take a backseat? What was kind of the thinking around that? Well, that, that kind of took place because of some practical reasons. You know, it, it was just too hard to put together something. Uh, continuously every week to find all the people. Back in those days, that was all volunteer help. And after a while, the volunteer help on on the sound, on the lighting, on the costuming, and all those other things, you just, you had those people available. But after a while, after when there were so many other things to attract people, uh, things for them to do, the volunteer help uh, diminished. And so we had to go on to something else. But um, the, the emphasis 
on illustrated sermons kind of coincided with our not doing an evening service anymore. Oh, even even when we were here, Jake Bielig in the, the 70s and early 80s, he still did those illustrated sermons. So even at this facility? Even so at it wasn't this facility. a thing that was just yes. down in Oakland? See, the, the um, church in Oakland had the what they call the double hydraulic stage. And so you, you would have a scene that you could set up that would go up and you'd have another scene that would be blocked out in the back and then that one would go down and the scene in the back would show while they were setting up another scene. Well, here, the same thing takes place with the orchestra pit. It goes down, you set up a scene, and you have one in the back and so on. Yeah. I, this I, church was built with the idea, the theater seats and the, and the large stage and the, the uh, eight-story fly gallery where you could uh, put the scenes in the back, all those kinds of things. Those were um, built with the idea of having having illustrated sermons and then later the full-length plays. Yeah, because somebody told me, or maybe I invented it in my mind, so you can fact-check me here, that the sanctuary is a two-thirds scale of Radio City Music Hall in New York City. Did I invent that? I don't know that. I, I, have ne- I haven't heard that. I feel um, like you would have heard that. Yeah, no, I haven't heard so. it. Wouldn't it be cool if our sanctuary was <laughs> a two-thirds scale model? But it reminds me kind of of those theaters, like you're saying, with the balcony and then yeah. the big stage and designed for that. Well, just the arrangement of the seats on the side and everything gearing so that your your eyes would focus right on that stage. I mean, that's just amazing. There, Really, when you think about it, there aren't any bad seats in that auditorium. No, there's really, there's really not. Except if you come at like 11.15 and you have to wander down that aisle and like look in there for a seat like I have yeah, to do sometimes. that doesn't work. I should be on time. What do you yeah. think about that? And you notice that these are theater seats. This is not pews like a normal yeah. church. It looks like a theater. When you walk in there, people are going, and then they see the large curtain all the way across. So, oh, yeah, this must be a theater. Um, what was it like to make the decision, or how old were you? Were you involved in the decision to move from Oakland, the Castlemont location, down to Kester Valley? No, I I was uh, I was in college at that time, um, but I didn't get in on that decision. I wasn't a, a member of the board or anything at that time. Uh, but the the idea was that we had so many people who lived in the San Leandro, San Lorenzo, Castro Valley area, and even beyond that, even in the valley, that we were going to try to get closer to to their homes. And the property opened up. Originally, the property was supposed to be across the street where those condominiums are. And then the state said they were going to run a freeway through there, and they moved us over here. Yeah. And so this this location was built at the same time as the Oakland Coliseum. And the dirt was um, transported from here because it was a great big hill over to the Coliseum. Yeah. Where the Raiders play? Where the Raiders play. Raiders. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's okay. We can diverge for a minute because I grew up in Kansas City, as you know, as a Chiefs fan. I'm sorry. And we... The, we had actual discussions. Yeah. Can you be a Christian and a Raiders fan? Oh, give How me is this possible? That's what we used to think. And now here I am working at the church that we dug out and sacrificed our, yeah. our very soil for yeah. this team. Well, 
It's a, it's a tough place to be. We know that we're told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Where else does the world come together but at the Coliseum in Oakland? Well, maybe for one more year. Yeah. Sorry, that was a low blow. And that, that, low that blow. probably won't happen either. I mean, it, they say that they're not going to have them. So, yeah. I mean, you Mark know, Davis says he doesn't want to play there. So I'm teasing you a little bit about the Raiders, but it's, you know, it's not that long, but things change a lot in the city. You know, the Raiders have been in Oakland now to LA, now oh, to boy. back and now to Vegas. And that's, you know, four decades to blink and you miss yes. it. And then the church is ministering to this community that is changing so fast, whether that's the Raiders moving or whether that's socioeconomic climate changing or suburban life changing or yes. growth in the valley, traffic, all of that kind of thing. It's just seen so well, much the, the, change in 40 years. The thing years. is, Buzz, that you, and we have to all understand this, is that the God's word doesn't change. And it's the one thing that holds things together when it, when all the, um, the other things around a community change. You have to continue with what is solid, with what God wants us to teach. And it might have been much different back in the 50s or the 70s, but it's the same purpose. You know, the Lord has died for our sins and he wants us to tell the world about that that this this is the answer to life's problems yeah i love that can we talk about our uh our purpose statement you know life transformation yeah. through following jesus christ i don't think we had that particular phrasing you know in the old campus or whatever but that, no. it feels like that heartbeat was definitely still it was there, there. We want to reach it people was, for it was christ. absolutely there um, your life can be transformed when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That was Jake Bielig's message. That was Earl Sexauer's message, Larry Vold's message, and certainly Danny Strange. Yeah. So, you know, you joined in kind of that transformation happening in Three Crosses, as you said, like fourth grade or something right. like that. When do you feel like that message became really clear for you, that you wanted to have your own personal faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I I made a decision for the Lord when I was a child, when I was in third grade, actually, at our old church. But really, my commitment to Christ was at high school camp when I was a senior in high school at Old Oak Ranch. Old Oak Ranch, there yes, it is again. That's where I made that's where I made my decision for Christ to, to do whatever he wanted me to do and to be in full-time Christian work, which I ended up being of course but that's where i really made my commitment yeah because sometimes we get it fuzzy that involvement in a church is the same as committing oh, right. your life to christ you know yeah. and especially even working at a church it's easy to kind of exchange one for the other and right that's it's a different thing. absolutely it's a it's a different commitment when i made that commitment as a child i saw the the things um differently that i was was experiencing even from things at school and in little league or wherever i was i saw them differently i saw them from the context of god's word so that when by the time i got to be a senior in high school i knew all these things i put them all um uh into my mind and and kind of sifted through and got rid of those things in my mind that shouldn't be there and concentrated on the lord but I can tell you that there was a point at which I resisted that absolute commitment, but made that commitment to the Lord when I was a senior and said, okay, what I've, 
what I've been practicing, what I've been doing is not anybody else's, not my parents forcing me to go to church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you went to church all day on Sunday. You went in the morning, you went to Sunday school, you came home, you took a nap. I couldn't go outside and play or anything like that on Sunday. No, it's and then Sabbath, you go back to church siesta. at night. That was the big deal. That was life. But that was my parents' decision for me as a child. When I became a high schooler, I began to think, okay, I've got to make this for, this decision for myself. Finally, I made that decision to follow the Lord. Yeah. And so 17, 18 years old, whatever it was. 17. You know, some people would say, you know, what do teenagers know? Can you really make a life-changing yeah. commitment at 17? But here you are saying you did, and it changed everything. Yes, and and... I think what, what you're making a decision for is a willingness to grow in the Lord. You're not making it as if, oh, I've arrived. I'm finally here. I'm going to be used by the Lord here or there. What you're, you're saying is, Lord, I want to grow in you. Go ahead and use whomever you had put into my life, whatever circumstances, whatever situations, the things that I am going to experience, my college experience or, or going in the army or whatever else, use all those things for your purposes so that I can be used by you. Yeah, so in a sense, we talk about it sometimes these days as if we're on a journey, you know, like you're Absolutely. following after Christ yes. and you've made a decision to begin that journey. That's right. You know, involvement in church life, I think, helps us on that journey the relationships we build help yes. us on that journey. And so there you were, 18 years old, you know, different church campus. Is there anybody, any friends or relationships that you had from back then that persist even to today? And you look back and... Oh, yes. There, there are, are many, uh, many of those relationships that have continued. Fred Porter, for example, was a little bit older than I was, but he was in the high school department when I was. And Fred's here, of course, at our church now. And there are, are many others uh, who are part of our church now. The Harris family, Ed Harris, was very important to me because I started teaching at 17 years old, started teaching in the junior high department at Neighborhood Church, um, at the old church, and then I continued here. And it was Ed Harris who mentored me, who brought me along, and he gave me a love for uh, kids and then for education, Christian education. In fact, he was the one that recommended me to go to Redwood Christian Schools, and he was one of my recommendations, and then I went there and was there for 36 years. So you taught there for 36 years, yes. and then you were on our board here as a governing elder? Yes. Is that true? Yeah, from uh, for about 40, 40 plus years, yeah. Oh, man. And then we canned you on the board to hire you as a pastoral elder, is that right? Right. And now you're the pastor to... Seniors. Well, what happened was I, I was working part-time uh, here at the church while I was working at Redwood Christian Schools as well. That was my main job, but I also worked here part-time. I was a junior high director and worked with the junior high for 17 years. I, I worked um, in the junior department and other departments here and was paid, was on the paid staff from 1975 um, continuous all the way through. And then when I, when I retired in 2008 from Redwood Christian Schools, I just took that part-time thing and it expanded to become full-time and become a, the pastor to the seniors. And then later what is called now pastor to adults. Pastor to adults. 
So that decision for full-time Christian work walks you through many different That's right. avenues, many different many, venues. Many things. And, and things now, now that I'm the age that I am now, I'm seeing the Lord still using me in many different areas. Maybe not the same ones, maybe not things that I thought that I had trained for, but the Lord is still guiding me through those things. And I'm excited to do whatever he wants me to do. You know, uh, thinking, you know, kind of of that 40-year scope, that means that you were around when Pastor Jake transitioned and retired. And yes. And Pastor Larry stepped up. Oh, yes, absolutely. What was, what was that like? I mean, how was the feeling around that? Were people excited or nervous or, I mean, I'm sure all of it, but... It's a very interesting uh, thing because the transition to Larry actually was so smooth because... He was brought on to do other things. He was the high school director at that time. And then he, and he worked with college-age kids and uh, career people. And then he worked with uh, couples in the what was called the cornerstone class. And he did all these other things. So the moving along of Larry from where he was to becoming senior pastor had uh, a very deliberate uh, by the Lord, a very deliberate path that it was sure, taking yeah. until finally the Lord said, okay, it's time and put Larry into that spot. Um, we could not have orchestrated that kind of thing. It had to have come from the Lord himself. And so the Lord guided the people, the board, Jake Beeling and others to see all the qualities in Larry that were uh, necessary to take on this church when he finally did it was a great time actually because we just saw that the natural progression of someone who had learned the ropes and and was being mentored by jake beelig and picked by jake for that spot and then boom he moved right in yeah you, you talk about being kind of handpicked by the former senior leader what was the point at which people started saying kind of to each other quietly, you know, that guy, he'll be the senior pastor someday. That guy, he's going places. That is a great question, Buzz. I, d I don't know when that would be. I would say it would be different for different people. Sure. But I also think this, I think that people were very comfortable with Jake Beelig in that position. He didn't retire until he was older. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like, uh, he said, okay, Larry's ready. I'm moving over. No, he just kept going because God kept him going in that position so that when he finally hit the point uh, of retirement, I don't know how old he was, but it was older than normal re retirement age, Larry was ready. It was yeah. like he was just going to, to move right into that spot and everybody kind of knew that that was the one that had been given the most opportunity to lead. He was he had led uh, youth, he had led adults, he had helped make decisions about um, the the church and and the vision of the church and how we would do things. He was in on board meetings. He be, he just became that kind of a person that people would go to. And yeah. so it was just a natural progression. Dave Von Rotes, who was the assistant pastor, um, worked with, with Larry too. And he, was, he worked in the port of call and, and played the organ and, and did the finances and all those other things. You could see that, that 
that Dave and Jake and all those who were here were just putting their time into Larry's life. And so the, the, when the time came, boom, he was ready. He was ready. And that's similar, I think, to what I've experienced with Danny, you know, because yes. he started as a, as a lowly junior high intern. Yes. You know, if there's any junior high interns listening, watch out, you know, <laughs> <laughs> on to, you know, I don't think Danny was ever in junior high, high school, college, young adults, young families, Sunday night service. And at some point, I think people started saying to each other, hey, he could be the guy someday. And then when the, Larry felt the Lord's leading, you know, Danny had kind of that training and that investment and that leading of the Lord yes. to, to, to take over. That is, that is usually the way discipleship works. You know, you work little bit by little bit. Little did the disciples realize what their responsibility would be when Jesus went back to heaven. But Peter had been prepared for that position. He had failed many times. He had made a lot of mistakes, but he had been prepared for that position to take over. Um, all of the disciples did the work when Jesus went back to heaven that they had practiced when Jesus was here on earth. And yeah. of course, much more than that. But they had been called and Jesus got them ready. And that was the same kind of thing I felt with both Larry and Danny. God got them ready for, for what he has called them to do. Yeah. Man, I feel like we could go for many more hours. In fact, you know, we've kind of wrangled you in. I don't know if you sought this job or if it just kind of happened to you <laughs> that you are kind of the history guy now, you know, and especially as we look back with the documentary. One thing I've enjoyed as we do our ordination process here is you have to become familiar with the history yeah. of our ministry. And so you were kind enough to take me down to the yeah. old church and tour the building. And I used to sit right there and write down baseball players in the middle of the church. And, you know, and then this is where I got in trouble all the time. And it was a fun, a fun time. And there's so much in that old church and in the history of this church. And as I mentioned to you before, Buzz, when you look back, you realize how God orchestrates things step by step, little bit by little bit, inch by inch. God brings us along to do the things he's called us to do. Our responsibility is to just be willing. And sometimes we're not willing. It's not like you're saying, oh, yeah, do whatever you want with me. You know, little bit by little bit, the Lord convicts you in certain areas, and then he provides opportunities. And it's our, our responsibility to step into that opportunity and to do what God has called us to do at any, at any time. Yeah. And so here you are looking back, you know, kind of at your decades of history here and looking forward do you think future's bright? We're headed in the right direction? Are we yeah, as a church? As church? Oh, absolutely. This church is headed in the right direction. The right direction is continuously yielding to the Lord, continuously giving of your facilities, your, uh, your money, yourselves, your time to the Lord. Jake Bealey used to always say that. Um, that these are tools. What we have here are just tools. And he would always use this phrase, we are a people church. You know, uh, it's, it's not like this is concrete and mortar and all those kinds of things. This is a place where people come and, and meet the Lord. And then it's a place where those who are equipped here go out to the community. They go out to missions. They go out to foreign missions, other places. If you go around the world, you'll find many people who came to know the Lord 
um, because of the ministry of Neighborhood Church right here. By the way, one thing we haven't mentioned is another one of those important building blocks was the Port of Call. The Port of Call was a ministry for servicemen. It was a place where servicemen could come and learn about the Lord. And many of them gave their hearts to the Lord, then were trained and went out to different places um, all over the world to minister, became missionaries, became pastors. We were in Hawaii a few years ago and I went to a church and started talking to the pastor afterwards. And he said, do you know Dave Von Rotes? And this man had become a believer through Dave Von Rotes at the Port of Call at Neighborhood Church those many, many years ago, and now was a pastor in Kauai. Man, maybe that's what I missed when I was a kid, worried about being sent on missions. I could have been a pastor in, in Kauai. Kauai. Yeah. Next best thing, pastor in the San Francisco Bay Area, a place where God is moving. So what I hear you saying, if anybody's new to Three Crosses or checking out what we're about, hang on, because you never know what the Lord is going to do. Absolutely. Or where he's going to take Absolutely. us. Absolutely. I need to go back and say those building blocks that we that we mentioned earlier. I would say youth and the music and arts, and then I would say the protocol. A lot of time and attention was given to the protocol, and as we have mentioned in some of our uh, Sunday morning uh, services of late in this series, the protocol uh, was a a kind of a dream of one lady. Muzzy was her name. And then there were many other leaders, the Farnham's and the Rules and Dave Von Rotes and others. And all those, those people who were volunteers here who worked with those servicemen. And many of those servicemen, uh, after they finished their hitch in the service, they would move to the Bay Area and get married and raise their families right here at Neighborhood Church. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's beautiful to see what the Lord has done, what he's continuing yeah. to do. Thank you for sharing just a glimpse I know. with us here. Thank you. I know we're going to have more on the documentary videos yeah. coming up. I love those. Jason this is getting me excited now. I'm getting enthused. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you already were enthused. I can't imagine what's where it's headed next. But, but again, thank you so much for blessing us with your um, just memories about the legacy of God's faithfulness here and what he's done, what he's going to continue to do. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel and... I guess we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Buzz. I'm so grateful for Butch sharing with us. I'm grateful for you tuning in. If you'd like to ask us some questions about the history of Three Crosses, or maybe you'd like to follow up with Butch about something, or if you need prayer, or if you want to find out more what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, like we've been talking about for this last hour, would you reach out? Uh, you can just email us at podcast at threecrosses.org, and we would love to get back to you. We'd also love to see you on a Sunday morning, perhaps even next week as we finish up the Yesterday, Today, and Forever series with the third installment of our documentary and see what the Lord is going to do in our midst. It wouldn't be the same without you, so we will see you soon. 